You have probably heard there is fighting in Sudan with military clashes on the streets. This week, we break down why violence has erupted again in the African country. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Our one year anniversary is upon us. 52 weeks of episodes, which just seems kind of mad to me. There are... Lots of highlights there. Some of my favourite episodes. Really enjoyed the one on Loftus Hall. A bit more of a storytelling slant there. And Lachlan did a, an amazing job on the audioscape if you want to just lose yourself for an episode. If you want to go back to the first few weeks of the show and hear how Ireland would prepare for a nuclear attack, the episode which won an award at the Imro Radio Awards. Episode 47, another one, the history of bank holidays. If you want to listen over this bank holiday weekend, loads out there to scroll back in your feed. And please do spread the good word about the podcast one year in. This week, though, we are explaining the current conflict in Sudan. Just why is it there's fighting there? This is essentially the story of two coups in four years and the power struggle that followed. Sudan is a massive country in the northeast of Africa, directly south of Egypt. There are 46 million people in the country and it's been riven by violence over many years. It's a mostly Muslim country with Arabic and English, the official languages. It's also an incredibly poor country with the average annual income being less than 700 euro a year. In 1989, there was a military coup which overthrew the Sudanese government. That coup was led by someone called Omar al-Bashir who went on to rule Sudan as an autocrat for 30 years. And then in 2019, another coup. Uprising in Sudan, thousands of protesters camped outside the military headquarters in Khartoum, calling for President Omar al-Bashir to resign. Well, at this point, we're still waiting for an official proclamation, but a self-proclaimed military transition council has circulated a document saying that they have taken control of the country. Brought on by mass public pressure and demonstrations, the army and militia groups joined together to depose al-Bashir, who was then trialled and convicted on corruption charges. After that, a transitional government was set up, made up of the civilian members who had been involved in the protests and the military leaders. Until, in October 2021, another change. Sudan once again forced to a crossroads. One month after a failed coup attempt, the military arrested Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok on Monday, along with other civilian members of the transitional government, bearing all the hallmarks of military takeover, a coup. We stress here that the armed forces intend to complete the democratic transition until the country's leadership is handed over to an elected civilian government. That was translated audio of General Abdel Fattah al-Burnan, the head of Sudan's army. Since that 2021 coup, he's been the de facto leader of Sudan too. He's headed up a military council with his deputy being the leader of the militia group also involved in the coups. He's called General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, otherwise known as Hameti. He leads a paramilitary group called the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF. And the RSF was set up by former leader Omar al-Bashir when he was brutally dealing with rebels in the western Darfur region of Sudan. They burnt down villages to terrorise those they thought sympathised with the rebels. But it wasn't soldiers who committed most of the atrocities. Instead, the government employed Arab tribesmen called Janjaweed, warriors on horse or camelback, to do their dirty work. They later became the Rapid Support Forces, the RSF. 
The army not only originally created the RSF, but they effectively outsourced much of the fighting in Sudan to the RSF. So the RSF was not only active in the west of the re- west of Sudan in Darfur, but also in other regions that were arrested. Journalist Nezreen Malik speaking there to Channel 4. So effectively, for the past 18 months or so, you've had the power in Sudan split by the traditional army and a paramilitary group with roughly 100,000 members. Perhaps not a massive shock then to learn the current fighting is now between those two groups. Journalist Ismaili Kushkush speaking to Sky News when violence erupted on April 15th. Even in Khartoum, the capital, woke up to the sounds of gunfire and heavy artillery. I, in fact, live not too far from the Republican Palace, downtown Khartoum. Um, tension had been boiling between uh, the Sudanese army and the Rapid Support Forces, which is a which came which grew out of a militia that was used in fighting in the western parts of the country in Darfur um, in the past decade. Um, when the Sudan Revolution happened in 2019. There was a some sort of uh, a, a agreement a transition where the military in its various components, the army and the rapid support forces, um, agreed uh, to the transition. Uh, but in the last few days, the tension between both uh, of these elements had grown, uh, particularly in the northern part of the country, in the, in the town of Medawi, and, and we're seeing this materializing today in the capital. Both sides say they want to return to democratic rule and elected governments. July was due to see fresh elections in Sudan, though that's now under huge doubt. But why exactly did the fighting between the army and the paramilitary RSF break out? Again, that's a bit of a complex picture. Some suspect that neither general actually wants to give up the power and influence they hold now in favour of a democratic government. Others point to the RSF repositioning troops to key positions in Sudan, which raised tensions. And then there was the thorny issue of how the army and a massive paramilitary group could coexist in a democracy. And that's obviously not an easy thing to do. Think of Northern Ireland, for example, something close to ourselves. If the IRA hadn't given up its weapons and the British army hadn't taken a big step back from the country, could there now be a peaceful government? doubtful, or certainly a lot more difficult. And that was arguably the most difficult part of the Good Friday Agreement was decommissioning the soldiers. But at least in Northern Ireland, there was strong political leadership at the time. There were eight parties involved in the Good Friday talks, representing various factions of two main groups in Unionists and Nationalists. In Sudan, though, after the fall of the 30-year reign of al-Bashir, between 80 and 100 political parties emerged. No small wonder that the democratic side of things has fallen away a bit when it could never agree, even broadly, what the future of Sudan should look like. And that opened the door for the military. Let me get a bit more nerdy and make maybe a Star Wars comparison to make it a bit more simple again. It would be like the Rebel Alliance defeating Darth Vader and the evil Empire, only to split into a hundred different groups who all want different things. Of course, that's then going to open the door for a new big bad to come along, especially if that big bad has control of lots of guns. And if there's fighting between two groups who both think they should or could have control, it's often the public who gets quite literally caught in the crossfire. Another big point of tension that was aimed at solving that military tension initially 
was how the RSF should merge with the army. So in theory, the war is over, we've got rid of the dictator, they both say they want democratic elections, and both armed groups signed a deal last December saying they would step back from politics and facilitate elections and a new transitional government. Let's say that had all gone to plan. It isn't really tenable to keep an independent paramilitary group running alongside the army. I mean, like recipe for disaster, right? So talks were established to merge the two groups into one, which would be the Sudanese army for the newly elected government. A row emerged, though, over how quickly that should be done. The RSF wanted a 10-year timeline for folding itself into the army. The army said it needed to be done in two years. And you can somewhat understand that. I mean, a 10-year timeline in an already unstable country, that does seem to be asking for trouble. But it proved yet another point of disagreement, and that has led to the fresh fighting. Uh, of course, we are doing everything we possibly can to secure the release and the evacuation of Irish citizens um, from uh, Khartoum and from Sudan, along with European Union citizens. And we would like to take the opportunity to thank our French colleagues and Spanish colleagues for already facilitating the evacuation of up to 50 um, Irish citizens over the last 24 hours. Tornish to Ant, Foreign Affairs Minister Michal Martin there in Ireland is one of a number of countries pulling people out of Sudan, many diplomats being removed from the country over the last few weeks. Air attacks in the capital of Khartoum have been aimed at knocking out RSF bases. There's been violence on the streets, empty supermarkets, leaving people desperate in a country where as much as a third of the population depends on food aid anyway. One journalist fleeing to Egypt said there is nothing left, no water, no food. People have started going out armed, whether with sticks, with axes. And those who haven't been able to escape Khartoum are hiding inside as fighters roam outdoors. You can hear how it's interrupting life with gunshots clearly audible in this news bulletin as the reader is updating people. It's a grim picture coming from Sudan as warring military factions fight for the future of the country. John Defoe presenting this week. John Kill is the editor with Lachlan Hart on sound. I'll chat to you next week.